0: Mike, Mike, and Oscar. And the Oscar goes to... 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 the Oscar goes to... to, to Awards, season, and... And the Oscar, Oscar race checkpoint. And we're back. Welcome. ...to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. It's also Mike here for another episode of Oscar Race Checkpoint. I'll be reviewing a bunch of new films like The Killer, Five Nights at Freddy's, Dick's the Musical, a bunch of horror movies including The Exorcist Believer, and a bunch of uh, movies I've been watching... Like on Shudder and stuff that have been really cool I want to tease the Scaries I'm going to save those conversations for The 6th Annual Scaries, our horror movie award show But definitely a lot of horror movie news And stuff to report about there Otherwise Going to talk about the AFI Film Festival A couple premieres uh, And certainly the documentary feature category After its first waves of nominations And shortlists Doc NYC, IDA shortlists Gotham, Critics Choice Noms Definitely got to make sense of that category. That is very difficult to make sense of, the documentary features. So I'll do my best there. Obviously, Mike one, my co-host. He's not going to be with us. Here today, uh, it's another shorter solo episode where I'm going to try and power shoe, power through, excuse me, and put the show on because the show must go on. But I thank him for editing this one. I'm glad that he's starting to feel a little bit better. I don't want to jinx him, but uh, we are hoping to get behind the microphones together again soon. Obviously, we didn't expect this. I, I programmed one guest during the vacation uh, that he, that Mike took, and then he comes back very sick from the vacation, so. He's out another week, and I'm recording a couple solo shows. So, doing my best to hold down the fort. And I thank you all for listening. And of course, I wish my co host, Mike, one well. Thank you for all the well wishes from you guys, uh, also there. So, Let's start with these new releases. I'll begin with The Killer, and I got to tell you, I found a beautiful little new theater in Pleasantville, New York, called the Jacob Burns Film Center. Thank you to Andrew Morgan of Recent Activity and What's on Netflix for turning me on to this new little spot, The Killer. uh, I I took a 50-minute road trip up 84 from Connecticut, found the Jacob Burns Film Center, and The Killer just it really worked in that environment for me. It worked in the big screen. It worked because like the, the outskirts of New York City that we saw felt like the town I was driving through. So that was also very cool. Heading up the sawmill parkway, getting off and kinda being in the movie in a way. So that was that was awesome. Uh look, the killer starts a little slow, but you're on a stakeout, so it builds up. You're getting a lot of the voiceover that we heard in the trailers, and this story does slowly kick into gear. Ultimately, it it becomes this absorbing procedural that you'd expect, and I do have a feeling that I'm going to want to revisit the killer time and time again this award season. Fincher's got an attention to detail like none other. I mean, some of these details just floor you and knock your, knock your head off uh when you think about them because i mean they're they're upsetting they're they're intense i mean the intensity of a fincher film always comes through for me and and this is just like this pure dose of david fincher filmmaking and for those of us that needed our fix it is here, and you get the great music from Ross and Reznor. Fassbender's Smith's Heavy Playlist <laughs> is on full display. I love the music. I love the sound of the killer. Uh, you have all of the grim filters for the Eric Messerschmidt cinematography. He was, of course, the Manx cinematographer that uh, that won the Oscar there. And, yeah, you get all of the throwback Andrew Kevin Walker uh, screenplay vibes from Seven and their original partnership as well. You are staring into the abyss with this movie. You get this look at this, you know, societal underbelly, this assassin life. But it's, you know, it's juxtaposed with this look at our modern hustle and bustle. I, I guess there's no other way to say that. But if you're living the travel lifestyle right now. Uh, Fincher seems obsessed with you. He's obsessed with all the kiosks. He's obsessed with all the key cards. He's obsessed with all the, you know, the the delivery guys and all the, you know, p- pick up a scooter and pick up a bicycle and pick up a, you know, and flash your card here. And, and oh, my God, I, I felt like just the chaos of everyday life built up to the craziness in this film. And obviously you're going to get explosions of of violence it's a it's a movie about assassins there's one fight in particular that is absolutely just oh my god it floored me even though it's a bit unrealistic i would say knowing what i know about the fight game now and having my brothers basically turned me into a fight fan of boxing, of MMA, and by the way, Ngannou won. That was a terrible decision. I'm sorry to all the Tyson Fury fans. Ngannou won. I've never seen Tyson Fury that disheveled. Uh, i never seen it before. I love Tyson Fury, but Francis Ngannou, my god, is he incredible, but the fight fan in me watches this, and there's just too many big shots connecting to make it a plausible fight. However, David Fincher can film that fight. My God, what, what a great centerpiece to the movie. But I was totally sucked into this world, and I like I said, I want to watch The Killer another five or six times. I want to study The Killer with Mike, and I'm honestly a little nervous about high, how high I am about The Killer after my first watch. I'm an A-90. That's my initial grade. We'll see how the rewatches do. All right, we'll move on to the next huge story in the movie world, which, of course, is Five Nights at Freddy's. I'll review it to start. I'll discuss the box office to end. Look, I am not the target audience for Five Nights at Freddy's. To me, this was borderline unwatchable. I award it no points, and may God have mercy on all our souls because we're getting 10 of these. That being said, I'm glad to hear that Fans of the video games, the young people in the world are having a good time at it. Because my biggest worry after watching Five Nights at Freddy's, and I watched it on Peacock. You know, look, I, I, I go to the movies twice a week. You guys know me. But uh, I did watch this one at Peacock. And I don't have a problem watching stuff at home. I, I People get bent out of shape about this. But if you're a regular moviegoer, you know, watch your movies where you got to watch them. I, to me, Five Nights at Freddy's, I didn't want to go to the movies to see it. I wanted to stay home and watch it and it was, I don't know, it was fine uh, to to do that, but Peacock made a play here that I was shocked to see. They went day and date with it after the high tracking and it worked out to this Bafo box office like we've never seen Uh, other than, yeah, I guess the Scarlett Johansson uh, Black Widow movie had a little higher number in terms of the day and date record but this is 80 million uh, in terms of a domestic opening weekend, 132.6 worldwide. Five Nights at Freddy's is going to be a tentpole. It's on a 20 million dollar budget for Blumhouse, Universal, Peacock. Made they made the right decision. Because they probably, you know, enhanced the traffic on Peacock. A lot of people probably signed up for the Peacock Premium, getting those subs going for them. Five Nights at Freddy's has just been a smash hit, and the young people are liking it, and the gamers are liking it, and the people on Twitter, you know, they snap back at me uh, for my review initially. And, you know, that's good. I'm glad they're having a fun time, because ultimately what matters most is that people have a fun time at the movies, so they go back to the movies. That people have a fun time when they watch a movie on Netflix or Peacock, so they stay subscribed. You know, that's the big biggest thing here. And, yeah, Five Nights at Freddy's is probably not for me. I like other horror movies that I'm going to talk about in this episode. I like another style of horror movie. This felt like a heavily edited version of what it could have been but it's it's been a crowd pleaser so far so five nights at freddy's number one at the box office with a bullet taylor swift will be number two 15.4 150 and uh, domestically 53 in addition internationally for like a 203 total right now killers of the flower moon came in third 9.3 that was a 60 percent drop not good for uh paramount there 84.9 right now worldwide uh as a take for killers of the flower moon that's of course on a 200 million dollar budget for apple tv plus and paramount after death a documentary about the afterlife holy shnikes five million wow where did that come from that's uh that's another fun little find i mean the, the we, we saw the blind a couple week weeks ago about the duck dynasty dude I think that did 15 million worldwide in its run. It's now on VOD, but you know, these little indie indie movies, they pop up and they they hit. It's it's cool to see sometimes. Uh The Exorcist Believer came in 5th. I'm just going to talk about the top 5 as I segue into the review. 3.1 million. It did go it did go uh to streaming PVOD 120 million as a cube for The Exorcist Believer. Now look, I mean that's that's good on a thirty million dollar budget. That's a profitable film. The problem is the thirty million dollar budget. You got to add that to a hundred million dollars per film that they they had to pay based on the the rights for the trilogy. Uh, apparently, they had to pay something like three hundred million for the rights, and then they allocated a hundred million dollars for the three budgets. So thirty three million dollars in terms of budget. Not good, not good for the Exorcist Believer. Uh, I will review it now as a mixed review. I'm not as low on it as a lot of people are. I I'm not as high on it as some friends of the show are. The Exorcist Believer is it's not a fun watch, but it's not a disengaged one for me. Like I'm in I'm into the movie the entire time. David Gordon Green, he gives you a lot of these Exorcist movie goods. He doesn't do anything very innovative with it, though. He had some fun twists on the Hall- Halloween remake in 20- 2018 that I like quite a bit, but unless you consider like the interfaith exorcism as a innovation here, or I, I don't know, I, I I don't see a lot of new ground being covered here. I knew that was going to be a tall order because of how mind this genre has been by the Evil Deads, by the Conjuring franchises, by a lot of the franchises that have been popping up, Paranormal Activity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The exorcism of Emery Lee Rose, the exorcism of this person, of that person, of the taking of Do- Deborah Logan. I mean, there's so many exorcist movies out there that have been since the 1970s film. It's not a genre that's left a lot for its OG. It's not... It's not been a fun uh, world for Exorcist sequels. It's just not been a lucrative world for Exorcist sequels, which was why it was puzzling to me in the beginning. And I hate to say I told you so, but The Hives wrote a good song there, so I will. The Exorcist Believer is like a meh C- minus for me at the end of the day. Ann Dowd gives you some Ann Dowd. Leslie Odom Jr. is fine in it. The girls do a nice job in terms of their performances. They have some fun. But, like, the lamest trick the devil ever pulled was being predictable, this predictable. And, unfortunately, I got spoiled with the one thing that I probably shouldn't have gotten spoiled for. But, yeah, this movie was just paint by numbers, color by numbers. Did not work for me, The Exorcist Believer. But, I don't know. I didn't walk away from it super aggravated. I do want to dive into some good horror movies that I've been been checking out, and I want to tease the conversations that Mike are going to have, Mike and I are going to have with the scaries, but I don't want to really get into much. But if you guys are still in the horror movie mode, here's a quick listing. Uh, I'm mixed on Perpetrator, Jagged Mind, The Passenger, and Baby Ruby. Those four, very mixed on those four. I I despised. <laughs> Sorry. But I did. I despised the next five. Meg to the Trench, Haunted Mansion. Everybody's hated those movies. It's not that surprising. Those were rough. Some indie films that I didn't like. The Offering on Hulu, Kids vs. Aliens, and The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster on Shudder. Those were tough sits for me. I did enjoy this next group, though. So I have a a bunch of movies that I've, I've really dug and... Totally Killer on Amazon was a lot of fun as Mike One reviewed the last time he was with us. Our Father the Devil, that has been an indie gem. I mean, Indie Spirits nominated it last year. The Gothams just nominated it this year. More of a heavy drama than I would say a horror movie, but there's definitely horror movie elements, my God. So Our Father the Devil, strong recommendation for me. B+, in fact, one of my favorites on the year. The Conference is a slasher film on netflix out of sweden and it is nuts go watch the conference birth rebirth a little frankenstein movie coming to shutter i believe next it's this month but it's a shutter original that's ifc original that is on vod right now for like five bucks worth the rental i enjoyed birth rebirth Hussara the Bone Woman, Unwelcome, and Leave. Those are my three Shudder gems this year, along with When Evil Lurks, which I've reviewed before. So I guess it's four. But Hussara the Bone Woman, I cared so much about these characters. That was the main thing. Like, you get a sense of their marriage. You get a sense of this family. You love the protagonist. You want to see her well. You want to see her get past the nightmare she's living. So that was that was a, the, the reason for Sarah the Bone Woman's success in my mind. Unwelcome is a fun little creature feature. Oh my god. Go check it out. It's batshit. And then Leave. Leave was a surprise to me. That was one of those Shudder Movies that if you get one of those a month, you keep that service year round and you're very happy to do so. Uh, AMC Plus, Shudder. So Leave, I uh, recommend all three of those as strong B grades at the end of the day for me. So Mike and I will continue to talk about these horror movies at the 6th Annual Scaries, but that is a teaser for all you guys. I'll move on to some non-horror movie recommendations here and I got three. Dicks the Musical, Laughed My Ass Off, I think I laughed 30, 40, 50 times. My God. Megan Mullally just had me dead to rights. Everything that character said was so ridiculous, so absurd. She is out of her mind. Everybody who made this movie is out of their damn mind. Dick's the Musical, very funny. Nathan Lane, Megan Mullally, pairing them up as the parents. I was dying. Otherwise, Josh Josh Sharp and Aaron Jackson, Jackson, very talented, the both of them. They're funny. Again... Totally batshit crazy, the two of them, but they're super talented as comedians, and they got a lot of musical ability, so these songs are catchy, and and they're insane, uh, like, this is a satire, very tongue-in-cheek. They're saying horrible, horrible things, and, and making it out like it's it's the truth and righteous and good. And oh my god, it just killed me. B plus eighty seven all day. Dicks the musical. I was the only person in the theater though watching this. So it, it upsets me that people are seeing the wrong movies right now in theaters, in a way. But you know, I, I get it. Dicks the musical is probably not something that was ever going to hit necessarily, but I hope it becomes a cult classic. It has that potential. It jumps the shark a hundred times, like literally a hundred times, and it is it is cringy to a point. However, it still works, and the big finish is totally worth it. So that's *Dicks* the musical. I. Also want to recommend a couple courtroom dramas that have been streaming for a couple weeks now. Uh, The Burial on Amazon Prime is uh, quite the showcase for Jamie Foxx. He's playing this uh, flamboyant celebrity attorney or someone who becomes a celebrity attorney or true life uh, guy there. I forget his name, but Johnny uh, Cochran wannabe in in his words and in many ways in this movie then you have Tommy Lee Jones as a small businessman fighting for his legacy kind of guilt trips Jamie Foxx into doing taking a case and yeah it's just hit the spot for me it's no my cousin Vinny it's no Aaron Brockovich but it's a a pretty darn strong uh streaming play for for Amazon Prime the burial b-minus great for me I was happy to watch it what I really liked was the Kane mutiny court-martial from the, the late, great William Friedkin, Kiefer Sutherland, Jake Lacey, Jason Clark, Monica Raymond, four great performances opposite the, the late, great Lance Reddick. So five great performances here in the Kane Mutiny Court Martial. They each go 12 rounds. There's a lot of arguing. I don't know if the legalese works, Mike. I don't know if the courtroom brawl is realistic here, but I do know that, you know, look, it's not a few good men, but the Kane Mutiny Court Martial is an engrossing courtroom drama. I couldn't look away. I want to watch it again. In fact, I enjoyed how absorbing it was. And look, the epilogue is a bit of a wet blanket, I'm surprised to say. However, uh, I'm a B-86 for the Showtime slash Paramount Plus drama. So The K-Mutiny Court, Martial, really good movie. All right, we'll move into the awards news portion of this. I will... Pick up where I left off at the Gotham's. I wanted to mention that there's one more tribute coming, and that'll be for Ferrari. Neon's 95 million dollar acquisition. That it's coming out on Christmas. Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz, Penelope Cruz, who was nominated, uh, otherwise at the Gotham's, and that's gonna screw up all my, you know, stats going into the future because a lot of the icon and creator tributes were not nominated for obvious reasons, but Ferrari will get a tribute tacked on there. So I I hope that's not the Gotham awards worried about the strike resolving and they want to get more films with waivers involved. I hope it's just legit. They want Michael Mann and, and uh, Penelope Cruz and Adam driver honored in this sense, but yeah, I mean I'm sure it's both, but uh, uh, god am I worried that they're gonna try and do the Gothams without this strike resolving, and that would be terrible and a terrible decision. They need to they need to get this strike resolved, knock on wood. All right. So we'll move into the rest of the awards news via first uh first stop here, the AFI Fest. So Three more movies in terms of first reactions that I wanted to discuss. We'll start with Leave the World Behind. This is Sam Esmail's film for Netflix starring Julia Roberts, Mahala Herald, Mahershala Ali, and Ethan Hawke. 78% as an early Rotten Tomatoes score on nine reviews. You got a 73 initial Metascore. Only three critics thus far on the Metascore. I'll read a positive and a negative review. Positively. This is from Pete DeBruge of Variety, quote, this film feels like a more satisfying version of the not dissimilarly apocalyptic, but ultimately preposterous knock at the cabin from earlier this year. Uh, I got two positive reviews, actually. A confident, entertaining thriller about two families forced to live together in the middle of nowhere as civilization collapses around them. That was Tim Grierson of Screen International. And then on the negative side, I have Leave the World Behind is destined to be a movie lost in the void of a streaming service that will premiere better, more complex pieces of entertainment shortly after it releases thus rendering this pointless exercise obsolete. Wow, so that's Ryan McQuaid of Awards Watch, friend of the show there, Ryan. We got a second trailer for Leave the World Behind. I watched it, it gives you a lot more to chew on. It gives you a great song, by the way, and Sam Esmail picks great music for, his, for everything he does. Oh Baby from LCD Sound System. That's on a lot of also Mike playlists on Spotify, and uh, I've been enjoying that one for years. It really is a kind of like a haunting mix for for the visuals we get, and then there's the a great song we get as a juxtaposition, to use that word again, but love the VFX with Leave the World Behind as well, and we learn a lot more about the situation. Apparently, it's Mahershala Ali's house, Mahala Harold's house that Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawk are renting or airbnb or whatever, and... The world is ending, the family comes back to be at home, and drama ensues from there. Uh, you have Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke not understanding, not getting what they're putting down, but you do see them on the road, and my God, it's wild and crazy, and Kevin Bacon is uh, is involved, and he's got guns pointed at, at the group, and etc. Looks intense. I'm I'm hoping it's better than the critics are, are saying right now, but I am... Uh, I'm basically I'm basically looking at Leave the world behind as as more of a Netflix play as something that hopefully gets the eyeballs, feeds the beasts, give us rats our cheese, but maybe it's not an awards play, and I guess that's where I'm landing on Leave the world behind. But you never know. I mean, those are strong enough initial reviews to build some momentum. Uh, we'll move on to the other late breaker or the one with late breaker potential that's freud's last session which premiered at afi here's the initial score 67 percent on six reviews right now on rotten tomatoes i'll read pete hammond's positive review from deadline or at least a pull quote on rt there What makes this an event for serious, and you better be in this instance, filmgoers, are the performances, particularly Hopkins, who has always added an entertaining, often playful tone to his portrayal of real figures in our history. And then negatively, we have Sophia Simonella saying... Hopkins and Good have such a strong dynamic that it's a shame Brown chooses to cut away to the thinly drawn subplots featuring minor characters. So that's a surprise in the sense that I thought this was just a chamber piece. I thought this was just the two of them going at it, two people in a room, like a play, kind of like the Kane Mutiny Court Martial. Just we're stuck there and it plays out, but apparently there's cutaways to the rest of... uh, the rest of the story, flashbacks, whatever, that would be a bummer. Anyway, I watched the trailer for Freud's last session, and it was a lively one. So you read reviews that that it's a slow-paced film, that it's very cerebral, and then you see an upbeat trailer, and that's probably setting me up <laughs> for disappointment in particular, because that's been hitting me a few times this year, where the upbeat trailer is, is a letdown at the end of the day. But Freud's last session had a fun trailer. I think if I were a college student... I think if I was dealing with my own faith and religious upbringing, this would probably, this would probably matter to me more. Freud's last session, C.S. Lewis going up against Sigmund Freud in a debate, it's what seems like a friendly one. I'm sure it's going to get more intense as as the movie goes on. But look, in terms of the Oscars punditry, you got Anthony Hopkins getting hyped up in this trailer. You got him yelling at Matthew Good. But yeah, I, I'm just suspicious of the high tempo that we got there and I'm sure it's not the case finally I'm going to end with a documentary review out of AFI and their film festival Maxine's Baby the Tyler Perry story 100% on two initial Rotten Tomato reviews obviously their reception is still very early here but it seemed positive audiences will be inspired enlightened and educated about a man we all thought we knew and is simply Maxine's Baby Boy but Kelly and Ortiz do not shy away from personal moments, making its subject seem less of a superstar hero and just simply human. That's from Carla Renata of the Curvy Film Critic. So Maxine's Baby, which comes to Amazon Prime on the 17th, don't know if awards are in its future. I, I'm gonna transition into the documentary feature category segment now but uh, i am happy to see that reviewed well and that's certainly a media (laughs) a media personality i've wanted to know a lot more about tyler perry over the years uh, based on his cv and certainly based on the amount that he's doing for the industry the amount of good that is so okay let's make sense of documentary feature Again, we have the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards nominations. We have the Gothams. We we have nominations from those two bodies. And then we have shortlists from two groups of people. We have the Doc NYC shortlist. That was a festival that just ran in New York over the last month. And then we have the IDA shortlist uh, to discuss now. I think I just want to kind of power rank the resumes at the moment. That'll be the best way I can make sense of this. I'll review a couple movies or I'll hearken you back to reviews I've already done. 20 Days in Mariupol is where you got to start. A lot of buzz about 20 Days in Mariupol as a major Oscars contender here. I reviewed this back at Sundance. They had unprecedented levels of access to the Ukraine war behind the scenes to the hospitals to the people on the ground to the city that was essentially uh, it was essentially on lockdown after the war started and these documentarians were in there to film it all five critics choice nominations including best feature doc nyc and gotham Feinberg has it as his number four. Clayton Davis has 20 Days in Mariupol as his number one. That would be my front runner at the moment. American Symphony has the next best resume, I would say. Critics' Choice, six nominations, including Best Feature. Doc NYC. It did not get Gotham's or IDA. Did I not write down IDA? Oh my God, it did not get IDA. That is a shock to me. And uh, it shouldn't be because I wrote this all down. <laughs> should just stick to my notes. So American Symphony did not get IDA, did not get Gotham, but Choice and Doc NYC. If you heard IndieWire's Screen Talk, Ant Thompson reminded us of what we've known over the years, that the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards often tab the more popular documentary features. Last year we saw that play out with Goodnight Oppie, which was a crowd pleaser from the festivals, a crowd pleaser with the critics, a crowd pleaser on Amazon Prime, something that Mike and I really enjoyed on streaming and yet it did not have the Oscars presence or the award seasons presence, you know, that, that really lasted. So I'm hoping that's not the case with American symphony. I do know Matthew Heineman has a lot of respect in that branch. He did the, uh, he did the movie about the cartels, the drug cartels, uh, cartel land. I should have came up with that title sooner. And I think they respect him a great deal. So the movie about John Batiste American Symphony, which uh, comes out in the middle of November. Excuse me, end of November on Netflix, middle of November in theaters. American Symphony, that's probably the number two contender right now, at least in terms of resumes. Although I would I would not sleep on this next movie. The Eternal Memory, best feature nom uh, at the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards, Doc NYC, it did not get IDA, but The Eternal Memory is... Uh, is a film that I thought a lot of. It's still in my top 15 on the year. Thought a lot of it at Sundance B, B plus 88 for me all day. So uh, it's a movie about Alzheimer's. It's about this uh, Chilean diplomat and his, his uh, novel, excuse me, his uh, actor wife uh, who, you know, they're aging, but she's taking care of him during the pandemic. And it's, it's very intense, but it's very loving, very romantic, very moving, it works as a composition, probably more than a lot of these cinema verite documentaries do. It's more composed than they are. Like Twenty Days in Mariupol is a tough set, and a lot of these movies that where you're, you know, you're, you don't know where it's going, and they, that kind of, they kind of go round and round. American uh, American Symphony, The Eternal Memory is is a composition. And they really edited that very well and made made it flow narratively speaking, which is hard to do uh, because you're you're dealing with such an erratic situation, of course. But the Eternal Memory very good. Stamp from the beginning that's coming to Netflix soon, I believe, and in, in, in November. That got two Critics Choice nominations, including Best Feature and the Doc NYC list. So Choice and Doc NYC, those four. We saw Doc NYC and IDA line up for these next four. Bob Wine, the People's President. I don't even know what that is. Sorry, I didn't look it up. Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni story. I saw that at Sundance, reviewed it. Great editing about the poet, about uh, her life, about uh, her history, about the civil rights movement. Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni story is, is well worth your uh, your eyes. The Mother of All Lies, while we watched, I'll have to touch back uh, to them later on. They got Doc NYC and IDA. Four Daughters, got Doc, NYC, and Gotham. Uh, It also was uh, an international uh, documentary prize winner at Cannes, I believe at Berlin, Four Daughters, and uh, I'm going to be looking forward to seeing that soon. That's an IFC release. IDA and Gotham, Against the Tide, about Bombay fishermen. Apollonia, Apollonia, about the art world and a a very talented young, uh, young person growing up in it. IDA and Gotham again for Against the Tide in Apollonia. And then we got some heavy presence or a lot of noms from this group at the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards. Still a Michael J. Fox movie. Kokomo City Beyond Utopia, which I reviewed from from Sundance. I reviewed still, by the way, a couple months ago on Apple TV Plus. Kokomo City's on, on VOD right now too. It's been on my list forever. I have to watch it. I hear a lot of good things. I hear it's heavy though. The deepest breath, that is also heavy on Netflix, but it's 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 a sports documentary, really strong. Uh, B87 for me, that's Scott's number five. Beyond Utopia was Scott's number three. Kokomo City is number two. The Mission, that's coming to Disney Plus eventually from Nat Geo about a missionary who's trying to reach out to this uh, very small tribe in the Amazon rainforest, and he doesn't come back from that. Very intense story there. Judy Bloom Forever, I reviewed that a couple months ago. Two choice noms for Judy Bloom Forever. Uh, the Disappearance of Hearsheight, Sheer Height. <laughs> Year oh my god i'm gonna leave it in sheer height about uh the fashion world about uh i think i didn't write it down i'm sorry three critics choice nominees nominees doc nyc short list i know that's on my list i have to see it everybody a movie i reviewed very uh a very intense subject but they make it incredibly entertaining and, and it's a it's a very loving portrayal of several subjects involved in the intersex awareness movement involved in, the, in their fight for for rights everybody is on peacock i believe doc nyc honored it there lakota nation versus the united states this is on amc plus right now another one on my list i haven't watched it, it was two tribecas ago but doc nyc Honored Lakota Nation versus the United States. Little Richard, I am everything. One of my favorite movies from Sundance. Clayton Davis is number four on his documentary feature list. Otherwise, I gotta be honest with you about these next two. I watched them, The Pigeon Tunnel and Silver Dollar Road. I had a hard time paying attention to both of them. I'll probably have to rewatch them. Both made the Doc NYC shortlist. Pigeon Tunnel is, of course, about John LeCarey. Silver Dollar Road is about a a, a fight for this Mississippi track of land that should belong to a family and when they wouldn't leave they got uh not only not only evicted but imprisoned and it's just a, a terrible really rough story there Silver Dollar road but uh a light at the end of the the tunnel to use a word from the title of the previous movie I discussed but I I Definitely recommend both films, and I recommend to myself to rewatch both films because there was something there. I was just probably prepping one of these episodes, and I did I couldn't pay attention as much as I should have. So that's that's another words of uh, to the wise. You know, maybe don't prep your podcast while you watch movies. I know it's it's difficult. Where, you know, there's only so much time in a day, but I was trying to knock them out and pay attention at the same time, or knock this out and pay attention at the same time. I should say. All right, IDA noms. De Humani Corporis Fabrica, In the Rearview, Milis Suthando, Motherland, Nathanism Q, Rewind and Play, Twice Colonized and Unseen, those are on the IDA shortlist, they didn't show up anywhere else yet, I will have to touch back on those, I touched on some of them at Sundance, Our Body got a Gotham nom, didn't show up anywhere else, but should be on the radar. Like I said, the punditry, here's where they stand right now at the major trades. Feinberg's forecast has American Symphony, Kokomo City, Beyond Utopia, 20 Days in Mariupol in the Deepest Breath, whereas Variety's awards circuit via Clayton Davis has 20 Days in Mariupol, American Symphony, Anselm from Vim Vendors there, Little Richard, and they shot the piano player as his top five. All right, so that is where I will close out another Quicker solo episode of Oscar Race Checkpoint for us today. Uh, I just want to remind you guys, we're Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and Gmail. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, etc., etc. Please drop us a five-star rating or a positive review if you like what we're doing here. And I really appreciate everybody who does that. It helps us power the algorithms to reach a larger audience. And, of course, it always makes makes Mike and I's day when we see feedback from you guys, especially the positive kind what's coming next. Let's just say I have hopes. I don't want to jinx everything, but I have hopes for the return of my co-host. I have hopes for a resolution of the SAG after strike. I hope we can record our sixth annual scaries, this 2023 horror movie years award show. And I hope that Mike and I can do film studies and Oscar race checkpoints and Watch all of these upcoming contenders. We got a lot of cool movies that we can touch on: The Killer and Anatomy of a Fall, Priscilla and Naiad. I wanna, I wanna review all of those for you guys. I wanna, I wanna dive into all of those. Uh, the holdovers and Rustin. That's all coming in November, as well as Napoleon, etc. Mike and I will be happy to watch and discuss all of these movies in our upcoming shows. As for any words of wisdom, I'm just gonna give you guys my best wishes. I wish uh my co-hosts good health i wish you all good help i wish us all good health i gotta stay healthy myself uh during this flu season and maybe i should get a flu shot i haven't done that yet i gotta get a flu shot uh so that you know i and and we all can continue to enjoy these movies uh and this award season to come we got the gothams in november hopefully kicking things off after a resolution to this sag strike so we can get all the you know the talent there to uh to uh, give us a great time that'll be on YouTube I believe at the end of uh, November so yeah when reality sucks keep watching movies and enjoying award season the year round with us we are Mike, Mike and Oscar I will see you guys